I do want to welcome you to Bible Studies with Russ. Um, this is Season 8, Episode number 10. We're picking up today uh, in Judges. Yeah. Picking up today in Judges chapter 10 and verse 11. Judges chapter 10, verse 11. We had a little bit of a break uh, last week, just a lot of things going on. And then uh, I think previous week we had a gospel meeting. And so uh, next week we will not have a live study for sure. Um, it may be a pre-recorded one. I don't know. Uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, um, it will not be a live one for sure. So we will be we plan to be traveling. Okay. So we are both places. All right. So let's go ahead and look at uh, Judges chapter 10 and verse 11. And I will just share something here on our Facebook page. If you follow our Facebook page, Facebook group, I should say, Bible says the Russ, um, you can uh, uh, follow the post and various links for the Bible study as well. Uh, and so you can actually... Uh, get into the Google Meet where I'm teaching live. And so if you wanted to make a comment or something, um, I try to share that. I don't always end up sharing it, but um, this, is, this is on YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, this is on YouTube. Uh, I do strive to have a Bible study every uh, Wednesday about noon. I say about noon, uh, Central Standard Time. Uh, there is a playlist of archived Bible studies uh on the most recent ones, uh, we have some others um, we've done in the past. I plan to upload to this, to the YouTube page. Uh, but you can also go to Bible Media and search for Bible Studies with Russ. And um, you can uh, find uh, Bible Studies with Russ on the most, the largest uh, podcast platforms, uh, uh, iTunes, and Amazon, uh, Google, um, many others uh we use uh podbean in my opinion is the most convenient uh, you can follow us there uh and download that app and, and and make sure you get all the the podcast uh that way as well but we're on the most uh, all the major podcast platforms as well okay judges chapter 10 and we're picking up this time in verse 11. now in judges chapter 10 um in verses 6 through 16, we have the heading here, Israel, the tragic apostasy. And we're picking up in verse 11. And so let's go, we're going to back up here to verse 6, which is the beginning of this section here. Uh, verse 6. And we'll be reading from New King James uh, today. So we're going to read from verse 6. Picking up, uh, when we get to verse 11, we'll pick up with our study there. The children of Israel did again did evil on the side of the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth, the gods of Syria. And we talked about these last time. You mean identify these. Um, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the people of Ammon. Uh, from that year, he harassed and oppressed the children of Israel. 18 years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of Amorites and Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also, against Judah also, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim. So 
that Israel was, was severely distressed. Uh, now looking here in verse 10. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. Now verse 11 is where we're at today. The Lord said to the children of Israel, Do I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also the Scythians and the Amalekites and the Mayanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry to the God time of distress. As we find in verse 11 through uh, 14, that God first reminds them what he has done for them there in verse 11. Uh, how he delivered them also, verse 12, from the Sidians, the Sidons, or Sidians, I guess, the Amalekites and the Mennonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. And so he talks about how he's helped them in the past. And when you look at verse 13, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. That is scary. To think about that idea that God is not going to deliver them anymore. Uh, he's done it in the past, and now here they are, here they are having forsaken him again, uh, repeatedly. And he says here, I won't deliver you no more. Look at verse 14. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Go and cry out to those gods that you've been serving instead of serving me. Go cry out to them. He says, let them deliver you in your time of distress. Why would they cry out to God? Because their gods, little g, their gods, could not. They could not deliver them in their time of distress. And so God was really, you might say he was being treated like a panic button God. When things go bad, then they then they, uh, they hit the panic button and go to him. And we find in verse 14, that's basically what we see there. He says, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. But they can't. Uh, they can cry out to them, but their gods can do nothing. Verse 15, and the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only, only deliver us this day, we pray. Now, let's move up here a little bit. So uh, they cry out to God there in verse 15. They, they, they admit they have sinned. They say, do to us whatever seems best to you. You mean punish us however you want, but just deliver us. They say, they're only deliver us this day, we pray. Verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. What does that tell us there in verse 16? Well, it tells us, it would seem, that he's delivering the people. Uh, one commentator says here that uh, they place themselves in the hands of God. They resigned to face whatever fate he deemed appropriate. Yet they pled with him, delivered them, delivered them from their oppressors. The prayer was accompanied by the removal of the foreign gods from among them. And when they began to serve Yahweh, he could no longer endure uh, their misery. And so it would seem that he is going to he is now delivering them, right? They cry out to him and they put away their gods, which is a sign of repentance. And what happens, verse 16, he could not when, he could, when his soul could no longer and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Now, I don't have the various uh, ways, different translations say it uh, memorized here. Um Verse the King James says here, and his soul and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. And basically, what we find here is that he was touched by by their uh, misery, by their pain, and he had compassion upon them, and he delivered them. 
aren't we glad that God is compassionate? What would have happened to those people if God just, if he if he ever got to the point where he said, I can't even do this anymore, I'll deliver them. What if that never happened? Who knows what would have happened? People, I mean, people definitely would have died. Uh, but he had compassion on them. Verse 17, Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mitzvah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He should be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And that takes us through the end of chapter uh, chapter 10. So the Ammonites began to press uh, their claims in what we sometimes call the Transjordan. They brought a host into Gilead and camped there. Uh, the Israelites gathered an army to Mizpah to block them at the Ammonite advance. And faced with spirited resistance, Ammonites delayed the attack. Meanwhile, the leaders of the Gileads, uh, Gileites, uh, found themselves with no, no one qualified to lead the defense of the land. They were so desperate that they offered to make the general of the, the ruler of Gilead. Liver uh, in, the, in this crisis was, was, not, was not raised up by God, but he was selected by the leaders of Gilead. He's not selected by God, and instead the people select them. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? In a time where God would select his leaders, in this time, in this instance, he does not. Look at now verse 11, chapter 11. Now we get to chapter 11. We get into some interesting things, especially regarding a, a vow that is made in chapter 11. If you may read Judges chapter 11, you know that in Judges chapter 11, a vow is made about a, a, a man giving, uh, offering up his daughter. Uh, uh, he would offer up his, his daughter to God. And there's some conflict over whether or not this was, a, what kind of sacrifice this was. We're going to get into that uh, today, uh, Lord willing, if we have time. Um, so let's go and look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Gilead begat uh, Jephthah. Now uh, his name here means uh, his name literally means he opens. Um, a very interesting, uh, interesting name. He opens. So as we look here, it makes a specific mention. Bear with me one second. Now, anyway, um, that makes specific mention here that he was a son of a, says, but he was a son of a harlot. Um, interesting that it makes that um, makes that known there, verse eleven or verse one. Uh, the, the New King James says, "But he was a son of a harlot." The King James says, "And he was a son of a harlot." Um, so New King James adds that word there, but he was the son of a harlot. Um, uh, regarding this, um, let's see here. The obvious choice for the leadership of the army was Jephthah, according to one commentator. He was a valiant warrior, he, but he had no social standing. He was a son of a harlot. So perhaps the, the idea of the son of a harlot shows he had no, no social standing whatsoever. Uh, his half-brothers had driven out of the family so that he would not have no part in the family inheritance. As we'll see as we get through verse 3. Now it says, And Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his sons grew up, they drove Jephthah uh, out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, uh, for you are the son of another woman. Then and Jephthah 
however you want to say that, fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. Uh, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out and ra- went out raiding with him. Now, Tob means here good. So he went and dwelt in the land actually means good. Interesting. The region east of the Jordan, north and northeast of Gilead, probably Armenian. Uh, the location, Strong says here, is uncertain. Um, he uh, bended, the Bible says here that worthless men bended together with, with him and went out raiding. Worthless men. Um, they're a gang of worthless fellows, as some translations say, gathered about uh, with him. And so Jephthah was virtually an outlaw leader, so to speak. Uh, looking now at verse 4. Um, now, if you, as you look at Judges chapter 10, verse 17, going through chapter 11, about verse 11, you have what some call a, a tragic figure. Uh, it's a heading there, a tragic figure with uh, Jephthah here. Uh, looking now at verse uh, 4. And it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war uh, against Israel. Um, just checking here. Okay war against Israel, that the elders of Gilead went to uh, went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we, might, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to make to me now when you are in distress? And so we summarize here in four through seven. Uh, they find themselves in the leader, and they go to, they go to this outlaw, the same one who was driven out, uh, the same one who had to go to another land, and he gets his own little followers together who are worthless fellows, so to speak. And now here come the elders of Gilead to him. He says, did you not hate me, verse 7, and expel me from my father's house? You hated me, and you kicked me out. He says, why have you come to me now when you are in distress? There in verse 7. Good question. Very good question. Why are you coming to me now? You kicked me out, remember? Look at verse 8. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah, Jephthah um, said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back again to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. So basically he says, if we come back and, and we are able to defeat all these people, uh, he says here, um, he says uh, in verse, give me back and fight against, against the people of Amen, the Lord delivers them to, to me, shall I be your head? So if I come back and we get the victory, am I going to be your head? Am I going to be the leader? And they say, seeing that the Lord be the witness that we'll do according to our words, right? There in verse 10. Um, now looking at verse 11. Then Jephthah went with elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over, over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in the, in the land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, and because, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok into the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. If you look at verses 11 through verse uh, 13 here, um, we find that, that he was, um, excuse me, he was, some say that he was a, 
peace-loving man. His first attempt to settle the, the dispute with the king of Ammon uh, through, through negotiation. His messengers inquired of the Ammonites, uh, of the Ammonite, what 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 quarrel or what argument they had uh, with Israel that he had brought an army into Israel territory, the king into Israel territory. The king, in his response, accused the Israelites of having taken the land when they came out of Egypt. He therefore expecting all the territory between the Arnon and Jabbok rivers to be returned to them. Um, if you look at verses 14 through 22. That's the big, big section I have here. Uh, it says here, scroll up here. So Jephthah again sent messengers uh, to the king of the people of Ammon, uh, to the king of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, he walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom was, would not be. In like manner, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab. And encamped on the other side of the Arnon, but they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was a border of Moab. Let me scroll up here. I go too far. No, I think okay. And then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sihon gathered all his people together and camped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. Verse 20. And the, the Lord of God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, they defeated him, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the, to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So, uh, Jephthah sent a second group of messengers to the king of Ammon. Through them, he gave a defense of the Israelite claims of territory in the Transjordan. First, he argued, uh, offered an argument on history when the Israelites emerged in the wilderness back in the days of Moses. They did not seek military confrontation with any kings of the area. Uh, they circumvented Edom and Moab when they were refused permission to pass through those territories. Amorites were then controlled the Transjordan territory. Israel requested permission from their king Sihon to pass through that territory. Sihon never gathered his armies and fought against Israel. Yahweh gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel. That, that was how Israel came to possess the land of Amorite, which is now the king of Ammon was claiming. And so the very land the king of, of England was, was claiming uh, was now possession of Israel. Uh, why? Because they won't let them pass through, basically, right? Now, if we look at verse 23 and 24 together. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people of Israel. Should you then possess it? We not possess whatever whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess. Whatever the Lord God takes, takes possession of before us, we will possess. Um, the word Chemosh here, Chemosh here, God, Chemosh means uh, subduer. It was a national deity of the Moabites and God of the Ammonites, also identified with Beth, Peor, and Beelzebub, Mars, and Saturn. Worship of this God was introduced in Jerusalem by Solomon and abolished by King Josiah of Judah. Um, so there you go. 
the Epaphrochemos, the gods of the of the Moabites. So we do not will not you we not possess whatever uh, Chemosh your God gives you to possess, whatever your false God gives you to possess, we not possess it. So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. It's only one problem: Chemosh is not not the God. So what have we been given? Nothing, nothing at all. So it's kind of tongue in cheek. At least for us looking back, saying when we read you how he says the Lord our God takes possession before us, we will possess. Whatever he takes possession of, we'll take. Um, why? Because, oh, because he's the only one true God. Um, verses 25 and 26. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against, against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshmon and its villages and in Aurora, I'm mispronouncing that, and its villages and all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years. Why did you not recover them with, uh, within that time, which is 25 and 26? So Jephthah's third argument was based on precedent. Balak, the king of Moab, never disputed Israel's claim to the Transjordan lands back in the days of Moses, Numbers 22, 6. He never tried to drive them from that land, nor had any king of Ammon ever disputed a claim to this territory. And in 300 years, Israel had lived there. And so basically he's saying, why are you making, you know, why you have a beef with us now? Uh, verses 27 and 28. Therefore, I have not, have, I have not sinned against you. You wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not hear the words which Jephthah sent him. And so basically he tells him there that Yahweh, the ultimate judge, would determine which people had, had just claimed to, to land. He, uh, Correctly anticipated that the king of Ammon would reject any overtures towards a peaceful settlement of the dispute. The stage was was then set for for a military showdown. Now, in verses 29 through 40, you have what's called what many call the tragic vow. You see the heading there: Jephthah's vow and victory. Um, we have to keep in mind as we read this vow. Let's just get into it. First of all, let's look at verse 29. Um, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Um, okay. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, uh, and passed through Mizpah and Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall be surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So there's the vow. Whatever comes out of my house, right? Now, it could be a reference to, uh, I don't know if he would have any animals in his house, but we have to remember that human sacrifice is, is a sin under the law of Moses. It is a sin. So, um, it would be very difficult for me to rationalize a, a human sacrifice as what's being offered up here. If you look at verse 31, then it will be that whatever comes out of, okay, verse 32. So Jephthah advanced from the people of Ammon to fight against them. The Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from, from Aurora, or as, however you say that, as far as Mitha, 20 cities, into Abel Kerim, with a great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were to subdued before the children of Israel. So let's go back and look at some of these names real quick. Um, how about Gilead and, and all these others here? Um, where's that one name I was looking for? Uh, 
Gabriel, verse 35. Uh, that, I don't know how you pronounce that, actually. Uh, Aurora, Aurora well, how you pronounce it? it means ruins. That's what that name literally means. The city on the north bank of the river Arnon, the southern port of the territory of Sihon, the king of the Emirates, and later of Reuben, uh, modern, uh, rare, A-R-A-I-R. Uh, city in Amen near the Jabbok belonging to Gad. Okay. Um, as far as Menes means uh, distribution, what does say the other one meant? There are ruins. Menes means um, distribution. Place east of the Jordan and Ammonite territory. The site is unknown. Uh, let's see, your 20 cities into Abel Karim. Um, Abel means plain. Or meadow, uh, Karim means here um, plain of the vineyard. So uh, Abel Karim means probably means plain of the uh, yes means plain of the vi of the vineyards. Uh, a place in Amon. So it doesn't give it. Uh, Strong's doesn't give an exact location of that. All right. Here's we get into the sticky part, right? It's not really sticky though. If we think about it. Verse thirty-four. When Jephthah came to his house. At Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, he tore his clothes and, and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you had given me your word to the Lord, do to me according to what, what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Amen. And she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me let me alone for two months. I may go and wander on the mountains. Be well, my Virginia, my friends, and I. So he said, go. Uh, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends. Be well, her virginity. We'll talk about that in a second. On the mountains. And it was so at the end of the two months that she returned to her father and carried down his vow with her, uh, which she had vowed she knew no man. Uh, and so she knew no man. So some might say, well, she willed her virginity. She went out and sold her wild oath. Wrong. She knew no man. That's what is that idea. You won't make it, want to make up all kinds of excuses and false justifications to try to justify people going out and doing things they shouldn't do. Uh, if you hear people say, sold their wild oaths, you hear people, you know, they're just, you know, they're, they're young, you know, they have their fun. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that happened here. Um, it, became, it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gilead. Okay. All right. So the big question is becomes, was this a human sacrifice? Um, no. I don't believe that it was at all. Um, I don't know how we could rationalize this, uh, this idea with the idea uh, of that because human sacrifice was illegal under the law of Moses. A person bowed to God be redeemed by the payment of a stipulated amount, Leviticus 27. But obviously, in this case, the word redemption money was paid. The question of human sacrifice here is mute. Uh, according to this commentator, um, he says, This much is certain that Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter. He sinned in a grievous manner. No vow should be kept for the keeping of that vow involves a greater, greater sin than the breaking of that vow. Now, I have here, and I wanted to read from some other. Uh, from another commentator here. Yeah, I have it marked. Um, about this, um, Dehoff 
says this regarding this section on verse 31. He says, many Hebrew scholars believe the correct translation is, I will consecrate it to the Lord. I will offer it for a burnt offering. This must be a meaning. Human sacrifices, sacrifices have always been an abomination to the Lord. Absolutely. Uh, how could this be okay? Uh, how could a human sacrifice be okay here? But it'd be wrong to offer it up other times. It would be wrong both times. Um, this was one of the reasons God drove the Canaanites out of the land that is human sacrifice. From verse 39, it appears that Jephthah's daughter's, daughters was not burned as a sacrifice to God, but consecrated to him in a state of perpetual virginity. The text says she knew no man, for this was his statute in Israel. Persons dedicated to God lived in a state of perpetual and unchangeable celibacy. Thus, what she mourned her virginity, right? Was that what the text says there? Um, the New King James be well, my virginity, verse 37. Um, the punishment of Jephthah seems to have been that his daughter lived in a perpetual state of virginity, and hence his lineage was cut off. But the dog had come out to meet Jephthah, he could have not offered it as a sacrifice. Uh, as a sacrifice, such sacrifices were forbidden. Human sacrifices also were forbidden. It is not necessary to conclude that Jephthah offered his daughter as a sacrifice. There's no evidence that God required this or that he accepted such a sacrifice. This would have been repugnant to God. And I agree 100% with that. Um, and so this does not seem to be what happened there in verses, uh, you say there, verse was a section entirely there, all the way through, chapter uh, 11, all the way through verse um, 40. Okay. All right. We're going to stop there today. When we come back next week, either the class will be pre-recorded or we'll just wait until the uh, study will be pre-recorded or we'll just wait until after Thanksgiving and pick up the following week. Uh, but either way, it will not be live next week. I do thank you for being here with me today. Hope you enjoyed this Bible study. Hope to see you again next time.